are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. When Apostle Paul writes his letters, he typically starts it with who he is. But then he offers a word of thanks and a word of encouragement. That's, that's how he starts off most of his letters in the other epistles. By the way, uh, you guys feeling okay? Yeah? I, I, I want you guys to feel nice and cozy and comfortable because we're going to be here for a little while. Okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to be here for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Panthers are going to win. It's like 31-0. Seven, okay, and so the other team, I don't even know what's going on, but I don't care, my wrestling's lost, so everything's just worthless. <laughs> okay, anyways, um, so I want you guys to get comfortable. We'll be here for a little bit. Uh, my sermon here today will be a little bit longer than usual, but I, I don't want to have to warn you guys. I want you to be like, Pastor, I want you to speak longer. Yeah, <laughs> I don't buy that. All right. So typically, when Apostle Paul speaks and addresses in these letters to, to various churches, uh, Ephesus, Corinth, so on. He will, he will say, hey, I'm Apostle Paul, but he'll also add a word of encouragement and word of thanksgiving as well, a word of praise. But what's interesting is, is that in this letter to Galatia, he starts off with the typical Paul, an apostle, uh, to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace. But, but you'll soon realize that just when we would expect words of thanksgiving and, and praise and encouragement to the church of Galatia, we actually get something else. In verse 6, it reads, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So it doesn't sound like Apostle Paul's too happy right now with the Galatian believers. And what's interesting is that of all the churches that Apostle Paul has wrote, written his letters to, we know that first of all the church of Corinth was pretty much kind of ticked him off. The church of Corinth at least. It was kind of a messed up church with a lot of messed up issues with division and immorality and worship issues. But even then, with the church of Corinth and the first and second Corinthians epistles, Apostle Paul, he still managed to say, give words of encouragement and words of thanksgiving. But not so with the Galatians, interestingly. Because Apostle Paul considered the problems that the churches of Galatia had to be more serious than all the issues of the Corinthians because the Galatian problem wasn't about worship service differences. It wasn't about sin issues that were being overlooked. Those are important, absolutely, but those weren't the main issues. Instead, the reason why Apostle Paul was furious and he was even more serious with the church of Galatia. It wasn't because of these external service structure, programmatic type of uh, worship issues. No, the reason why he went off on Galatia is because it struck at the heart of the gospel message. And Apostle Paul, he would not have it. He could not accept it. He says, look, we can fix little issues between you and me. We can fix issues when it comes to maybe a difference. Since, hey, I prefer drums, or I don't prefer drums, or hey, we need to have this kind of banner up there. I can deal with that. But when it talks about you compromising the word, the true message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he goes, I will not have it. I will not have it. Now, I wonder how many people here think I'm a crazy person for constantly talking about the gospel. Perhaps some of you guys are thinking that I need to address more relevant issues. You know, it's interesting. When, when you talk to a youth kids, the most 
popular issues that they have that they want to be that they want to talk about are sex and the end times and will there be sex in the end times and perhaps some of you are thinking too well i want to know more things about you know what does it mean about dating or to, to, for christian dating what does it mean what what does christian singleness or, or marriage and all these things or sex or dating or how far is too far or maybe how to make money using god as your financial planner Maybe these relevant things. I want to know more about that. And honestly, those are all good questions. And those are things that I, I believe eventually we will talk about. But sometime this past week, it was interesting that the Lord, he gave me this divine appointment with an individual. And he retaught me how important it was knowing the true gospel message. Now, as you know, my wife, she's a doctor. And she works at the Innova. And that, that, that means the Gallows Road right here as well as the Fair Oaks and she had to go, she had to travel to a couple of different locations every week for work. And because she wasn't feeling too well these days, like a good hubby, I offered to give her a ride to the Fair Oaks uh, location. So I took her, this was this past Wednesday, and this means that um, after dropping her off around 12 o'clock, that she got off around 3-ish, I had about two and a half hours to kill. Now you're thinking, well, Pastor David, it's only 15 minutes away from work and from home. And yes, you are absolutely right. But that would mean I had to go back on 66 and then go back on 66, and I will not have that. So I decided <clears throat> I'm going to chill at Fair Oaks Mall for, for a little while. So I go there. I, I drop my wife off. I go to Fair Oaks Mall. And immediately, I know my, I have this thing at Fair Oaks. There's no reason for me to go there except for one thing, Cinnabon. So I make a beeline to Cinnabon. I order a classic with a coffee. Then I walk towards the, uh, the seat near the Sears entrance because we all know no one shops at Sears, so it's pretty empty there, <laughs> right? And I had my phone that I downloaded a couple books and some articles I could, you know, use that time to read and just kind of go over for my uh, notes and just, just reading and stuff like that. And, and so there I was. <clears throat> I was sipping on my coffee, and I inhaled my Cinnabon. And I noticed as I'm reading, about an hour into it, there's this guy, I could kind of see my peripheral vision, and he was just kind of like, just darting back and forth like a velociraptor, like he's trying to attack me or something. And so I just kind of was a little freaked out and really suspicious too. And he, he would just inch closer to me. This took like 10 minutes of him to, for him to do this. And so he looked at me, it was just really awkward and also tense, Finally, I put my phone down, and I look at him, and he comes right over to me. He's like, oh, finally, you invited me. <laughs> and before I could say anything, he says, do you like football? And I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, I've got some trivia questions for you. Now, immediately, I'm thinking, this is the playoffs. Some random guys coming ask me football trivia questions. This can only mean one thing. If I win, I'm going to get tickets to the Super Bowl. That's what I honestly thought. I was like, come on, David, you're a horrible football fan, but muster up all your information and knowledge of the game. So immediately he asked me five questions. I got the first two wrong. <laughs> In my defense, they're like questions from the 1930s, okay? But I got the other ones right, and he says, you know what, that's not bad. I go, okay, at least you know, get me like a free shirt or something. And he goes, <clears throat> He says, you're about average, and I can say you're pretty well informed about football. Would you agree? And I said, yeah, I guess. And he says, then out of nowhere, 
He says, but are you informed about Judgment Day? <laughs> I, I'm a pastor, and I talk about Judgment Day. But when he presented that way, I almost fell off my seat. And I said, oh, my Lord. Uh, and I couldn't even mouth anything. I was like, uh. And he began talking to me about how there is wrath of God. And there is a lake of burning sulfur and fire. And for those who reject Jesus Christ, they'll be thrown forever in eternity. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's true. And I didn't tell him I was a Christian. And I didn't tell him at all I was a Christian, even to the end. And he kept on saying, this is what you need to do. You need to be saved. You need Jesus. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But I don't want Jesus the way that you're telling me. And so he kept on saying, well, here's the thing. You have a choice right now. I go, what's that choice? And he says, you have a choice to either accept Jesus or reject him. And I go, so it's up to me. Now, this, this is where you really shouldn't evangelize to pastors because we start toying with you. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he goes, well, you got you to gotta believe in Jesus because, other, I go, so it's, it's my choice? And he goes, yes. I go, hmm. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll humor you. And then um, he, went on, he went on to say, <clears throat> he said, it is about, you see, it is about the fact that your sin has damned you. And I said, okay, so, so what do I need? He says, you just need to profess in Jesus Christ. I go, that's all? I just need to say, Jesus, I accept you right now? So essentially what he was saying was this. He was saying, will you be willing to buy fire insurance, hell insurance? to make sure that you don't go to hell. And I said, I told him, I go, you're scaring me. He goes, well, hell is a scary place. And I said, but this fear is not making me want Jesus. And he says, well, that's the truth. I go, isn't Jesus love? And he goes, well, yes, he is also. I go, I would probably receive him better if I knew how much he loved me. And he says, well, yeah. Like, he was totally just surrendering everything he just built up. He was like, yeah. I said, and he goes, but it's not tolerance. I go, I didn't say it's tolerance. Tolerance and love are two very different things. And he goes, then what do you mean by love? I go, well, love means justice, too. And he goes, well, yeah. <laughs> and so needless to say, towards the end of it, where it very much was just about, you know what, turn or burn. If you don't repent, you're going to hell. Towards the end of it, I, I made him realize that, you know what, it's, he was, what he was saying was true. What he was saying was accurate, biblically speaking. But it wasn't the full counsel of the gospel. It really wasn't. And that just kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth somewhat. But at the same time, I, I believe that this brother was a brother in Christ. I, I believe that he does love the Lord. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have come up to me in the most awkward way if he wasn't in love with Jesus. And if he wasn't actually fearful, that I would actually feel the experience of wrath of God. So yes, he came up to me. And so I actually encouraged him, again, still not telling him I was a pastor or a Christian. I said, you know what? I, I'm, I am amazed by your courage and your faith, and I believe that uh, your faith is strong and that you really want to believe, you believe in what you believe, and that you, so much to the point that you have told me and you have really declared this over me, and, and I appreciate that. And he's like, you're one of the most open-minded atheists ever. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> 
I said, yeah, I, I am. And then, um, <clears throat> and then what's funny was, he goes, I go, I have to actually pick up, it was about a 45-minute conversation. I go, you know, I have to actually go pick up my wife now. And he's, he's like, okay, okay, bye. I go, wait, wait, hold on. And it's just, as I'm holding his hand, <laughs> by the way, he goes, what's your name? I go, my name's David. He's like, oh, it's a biblical name. He goes, I will pray that you become just like David. I go, but you've been talking about Jesus the whole time. Shouldn't I become more like Jesus? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so as I'm shaking his hand, he's saying bye. I go, wait, hold on. whole time you're saying that, like, I need to be saved and stuff, but aren't you supposed to pray for me? <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Lord, I pray, that, I pray that you would save him and so on and so forth. And, um, but here's the thing. I'm not saying this just to get a laugh or anything like that, but it really kind of opened my eyes to the reality that the gospel really has been lost in many ways, even in our most intentional evangelistic uh, endeavors. You know, how many times have we gone and just said, you know what, Jesus loves you, the end. Or how about Jesus uh, doesn't want you to burn in hell, the end. And then we go, hey, we just do it just to get a profession of faith when it's not really authentic by any means, you know? And so <clears throat> the reality is this. If I died on the way back from that encounter, I don't know if I'd be celebrating the presence of God. I really don't know. Watered-down gospel is not the gospel. Half-truth gospel is just to get a quick response, a quick yes is not the gospel. Words of tolerance or acceptance without justice is not the gospel. Forgiveness of sins without knowing why you need to be forgiven is not the gospel. And so that's why the gospel message is so important for us to know in order to properly evangelize. But equally important, we need to know the gospel message well because the gospel message is our daily reminder in who we are and how to live. It's not just for others, but know this. The gospel message is for you. Every single day, the gospel message is for you. It's not for you to think, how can I share this effectively and communicate it well to the person who is, who is not a believer next to me. No, no, no. The gospel message is for you on a daily basis. It's for you to remind yourself and remember the work of the cross on a daily basis. It's for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, the gospel is for you. <clears throat> and so from these verses, Apostle Paul addresses two truths here. First truth is that we need to be, or we need to beware of imitation gospels. <coughs> you know, Grace and I, my, my wife, we love, uh, what, during our honeymoon, we went to New York and we tried Joe Shanghai soup dumplings. If you've never tried it, you should go. It's amazing. Well, recently my sister informed us that there was a really good soup dumpling place in Rockville, Maryland called Bob Shanghai. I'm not saying Bob used any fake meat or fake ingredients. It was actually really, really good. And if you want to go, take me. <clears throat> but here's the thing. After I devoured like five things of that, and it was good. It was. And I couldn't quite place my finger on it. But there was something about it that just was also a little bit off. And Grace asked me, so was it as good as the real thing? I said, I don't know. Like, it's really good. But I don't know if it's as good as the real thing. I still believe they used the right ingredients and all that stuff. But, I mean, obviously, Joe Shanghai, the real deal, up in New York City, and they named their place Bob Shanghai, right? So they're always trying to imitate or copy something. And for me, it just still was a little bit different. <coughs> Here's the interesting thing about this book of Galatians, now that we're getting a clearer picture of what's going on with all this false gospel that was being spread. The interesting thing is that <coughs> these weren't, 
atheists saying, there is no God, there is no God to the people of Galatia. They weren't saying that. It wasn't pagan priests going and, and trying to preach their uh, Roman God pantheons of gods. No. Instead, the ones who were spreading the false gospels were supposedly Christian teachers. People would say, I believe in Jesus. The false teachers were the ones who say, no, I believe what you believe. I believe the Bible too. These are the false teachers. That's what Apostle Paul is getting so upset about. These are the ones who are saying, you know what? No, no, I am a Christian. I'm a Jewish Christian, as in Jewish background, we became a Christian, but I learned my, my information, my theology from the mother church in Jerusalem. So I have more credibility. In other words, what were they saying? They were saying this. They were saying to the people in Galatia, to the churches there, hey, your belief in Jesus is good. Bravo, it is good. He's a great teacher. And what, and what love he showed us on that cross. Oh, praise Jesus. Now the people are like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I believe. Praise Jesus. But then they go, but believing in Jesus is just the beginning. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what do you mean? So they would say things like, well, look, here's the thing. We've all come from worshiping Yahweh the Lord for generations, haven't we? You can't just uproot rich traditions and history. No, there's a proper order to these things because the life of God's people starts with circumcision. And that sounds familiar. It's ringing a bell. You're like, okay, okay, so I get it. Jeez, but I also need to be circumcised. And he goes, not only circumcision, but now it moves on to a, a life that has to be conformed to the laws of Moses that God had given. You see, what they're saying is this. Oh, no, your faith in Jesus is good. It's good, but it's only a start. It's just a good start because God's true people should move on from Jesus to practicing the whole law, the law and the commands that we've been obeying for centuries because surely Jesus didn't come to change all the things, all the God's requirements, right? So all of a sudden, the Galatians are scratching their heads, hearing these so-called teachers coming from Mother Church, Jerusalem, and they're thinking, man, this kind of sounds right. Because, like, God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and we know that God, he doesn't change. So I guess the laws that God obviously did implement back in the days of Moses, I guess those are laws that we should obey too right now. Well, I guess that makes sense. And so they're deceived. People, that's the false gospel. If you add or take away something to what Jesus has already done, it is a false gospel. Because the false gospel is saying, Jesus' work up on that cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, is only effective if you do your part. Only if you do your part. In this case, only if you get circumcised, only if you live according to the Old Testament law. And so this is a common occurrence that Apostle Paul finds himself battling throughout this entire book. So what would a false gospel look like today? People will say this, Jesus was a great teacher, a great example, but not a savior of sinners. Some people believe that you can't be saved if you aren't perfectly fixed. As in, if you look like some barefoot, long-haired hippie, okay, who smokes and drinks, then you can never be a Christian. You kidding me? You don't look the part. You dyed your hair and you're a guy. How dare you? 
You're a girl and you cut your hair? Oh my goodness. So for them, they're thinking grace plus cleaning up yourselves equals salvation. Really? Obviously, that's not true. By the way, I believe when you're saved, you'll desire more of God and less of the world's attraction and pleasures. I'm not saying someone who's addicted to something can't be saved. But I think it's important for us to know that many times people who don't seem to look the part are actually going through an internal transformation and wrestling with sanctification. And that's a good thing. So don't judge a book by its cover. Amen? Amen. As a result, <clears throat> we should all look upon them with love, compassion, understanding. In fact, I'm sure uh, there are many people who look different from us outwardly, but they're actually spiritually more mature than us, too. When we say you can only come to Shining Star if you have a college degree or look presentable, then we're adding on to the message of the gospel and presenting something false and damning. That's why it was really sad when I heard not too long ago how a person had a hard time going to a life group. I don't think it was a life group fault. It was really their insecurity and how they felt like they couldn't really get connected to some of the life group members. And the reason being was this, because I don't have a college degree. Because I don't have a college degree. And so whenever people go around and say, oh, yeah, yeah, Mason or at UVA or at, or at Washington or at uh, Georgetown, you know, this is, oh, man, I, can't, I hate finals or they're talking about stuff like that, immediately this person thinks, man, I, I am nowhere near these, near these people. And, and uh, I feel so insecure, you know. So, again, this wasn't the life group people's fault, but I, I do want to encourage you guys to really be sensitive at least and, and make sure you're careful in how you word yourself and really be inviting and loving to anyone, regardless if they have walked down your path or not, okay? There is a, um, <clears throat> there is a homeless guy who actually hangs around the 7-Eleven here. And uh, I've given him, I've met him many, many times. And I've given him money many times as well. But one particular day, I went up to him. I said, hey, hey, um, are you working? And because the reason why I asked him that was because for some reason, that particular day, I spotted something different about him. He had this nice new coat on. He, has, he had these nice new Timberlands on. And he just looked fresh. And I was like, you working? As he's like puffing around his cigarette, drinking a cup of coffee. And he said, no. And I told him, like, I got time. And if you're interested, how about we uh, load your bike into my, to my uh, back of my car, and I'll take you to Fairfax, the nearest employment center. We can get you a job right then. They got jobs. And he goes, uh, no, man, I'm not interested. And I said, why not? And he says, yo, man, I just don't want to work, okay? I ain't got time. And I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so I went and got my coffee and just kind of walked out. And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. It made me upset. It got me mad. This was an able-bodied man who simply rejected me and refused to work. Immediately, the sin of the false gospel message began to creep into my heart and my mind. And I said, God, it's one thing if he can't physically work, if he's handicapped. He's got some disability, mental or physical. But he's fine. Why in the world should I help him? He's just taking my money. He's taking other people's money too. And his excuse to not work is simply because he doesn't want to. That right then at that moment, that's when God who reminded me of the true gospel. You see, the gospel is not for you, it's for me. 
He says, I wasn't saved because there was a moment when I looked up to God's saving hand and I said, okay, God, I'm ready. God, I'm willing to work now. I'm willing to live for you and change my life. No, the gospel message had nothing to do with me or my desire to change. The gospel, the goodness of Jesus who did everything for me, saved me in my sinful, fallen state, died on my cross, rose from the grave. It's his completed work that gave me the desire to change. It's him. You know what my problem was? I looked upon that homeless man gracelessly. I thought he can only earn my money if I see him deserving and working hard for it. Have you ever thought that? Praise God the Lord doesn't deal with sinners like me the way that I dealt with that poor man. The imitation gospel is one that looks and feels like the true gospel. But here's the problem where Jesus isn't the main prize. He's just a means for us to get that prize. I want to ask you all today here, is Jesus your everything? Like, really, is Jesus your everything? Like, if you had nothing else in this world, but you had Jesus, would you be like, I am fine? If your world was crumbling down, but you knew that you had Jesus, you knew you had Jesus, how would you respond? If there's no word in Scripture about blessings from above, about healing or about prosperity or about protection from harm, but only the reality of who he is, that he is Lord, that he is God, and that he loves you, will that be enough for you? Or perhaps we think that if we walk with him long enough, then we'll get married or we'll find that job or we'll get that house or whatever blessing. That just shows it was never about him. It was about you. Is Jesus everything is he enough for you? Now the counterfeit or imitation gospel will come with impressive authority. And Paul, he warns us about the teachers who claim to be apostles. Today we have a lot of religious groups who are supposedly the new apostles, who have received this new revelation from God. In fact, some groups or cults claim that the true faith has been lost and God has now raised up a new generation of new apostles to reclaim the true religion. That's where we get liberal theology from, or liberal Christianity. They believe that the words of God has changed and doesn't apply to our present day as it did back then. So what they'll do is this. These cults or these liberal Christians or these fake religions, whatever, they'll come and they'll tweak the words of God a bit, or a lot a bit. They'll scratch out words, they'll modify words, they'll reinterpret words in Scripture to suit their personal and cultural expectations. And we have to be careful and beware of those who say and who say that they know newer things of God. Much like Mormonism. Like I got a good couple of friends who are Mormons. They are the nicest people. I think you all know that. If you ever meet with a Mormon, they'll say this, I believe in the same thing you believe, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too, they'll say. And then you go, really? But I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible too. So you know, they do a little switch in the bait. They'll say, but you know what? Here's the thing. I believe what you believe. You believe what I believe. But I got this newer information. I got more information. And it's better and newer and more refined than the New Testament gospel. Because Angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith. And that's when you're like, 
But here's the thing. They say, but Angel Moroni gave to Joseph Smith and gave him the golden place from which we have the Book of Mormon. And this book is apparently the updated version of Christianity. You see, they'll say the Book of Mormon in this modern-day lingo will say it is the Bible 2.0. It is more relevant. And so this little religion that started in 1830, not even three centuries ago, has now over 14 million followers, all because they believed in something Newer and better had come. So what's their authority? Joseph Smith apparently had a supernatural encounter with an angel, despite not having any other testimony support from anyone else. How interesting, brothers and sisters, that all the cults in this world, all the religions in this world that we have, from Islam to Buddhism, and all their cults, are from people who have had a private and most secluded encounter with some sort of supernatural being. And whenever people said, oh, really? Prove it. They said, how dare you? Accept it. Believe it. But for Christianity, Christ came in the most public way. He performed his miracles in the most public manner. The disciples experienced Christ in the most public fashion. Jesus was executed in the most public place. And Jesus' resurrection and, <coughs> and ascension was done in the most public and visible way with over 500 witnesses many of whom were immediately converted and began spreading the word of that gospel, what they saw and heard, even to the point of their persecution and death. How do we combat imitation gospel then? You have to know the true gospel. Know the word of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need to know the word of God. The only way to escape these false views is to know the truth well. You know what a counterfeit $100 bill looks like? You don't learn by looking at other $100 counterfeit bills. No, you know it by examining what the real $100 bill looks like. What's the application for this point then? Here's a quick one. This year, keep your nose in the Bible, amen? Walk daily with the Lord in humble submission, amen? And be on guard, brothers and sisters, be on guard. And ask the Holy Spirit to guard your heart too. The last point is that the imitation gospel will cost you. Now, I remember a time when I was a victim of, the, of counterfeit money. It happened to me. I, I whipped out <clears throat> a $20 bill at my, one of my favorite coffee establishments, 7-Eleven. And the cashier, he looks at me, he looks at my bill, and he says, sorry, no. And so really confused, I looked down and only realized that the bill I gave him was completely bogus. The numbers, the 20 on each side, were different sizes. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. But the guy, he knew me. I've been going there for over 25 years. And so he did what any person who was sympathetic to your problem would do. He laughed at me. <laughs> now, if you buy a counterfeit purse, it's not a big deal. If you don't buy a real Louis Vuitton or Coach or whatever bag, it's not a big deal. But when it comes to counterfeit money, you all get burned. It's robbery because the imitation money has no actual value. Similarly, Paul speaks of two ways this is true, which are two groups of people who lose when the gospel is fake. Firstly, the Galatian believers lost. Because they allowed themselves to be led astray, they pushed away and they alienated Apostle Paul and they muddied the waters for others in their own churches. Now think about this for a second. Just think how devastating it was with what that Galatian people did when they listened to that false message. Think about half of you guys all of a sudden deciding that you no longer believe what, we've been, what we believe here. 
Imagine if all you guys, half of you guys no longer respect the teaching that's been going on here for years. Can you imagine the confusion between you two? Can you imagine the turmoil? Can you imagine the division? Well, that was what life was like in the Galatian churches. Actually, it was far worse for them because in verse 6, it says to abandon the gospel. To abandon the gospel means to abandon the Lord who called you. To not live by the true gospel doesn't mean that you're just tweaking your theology or that you have a change in perspective. When you abandon the gospel, it makes you a deserter of God's kingdom. It turns your back on what God has done through Christ, his son. When you distance yourself from true gospel, you actually unplug yourself from the power of God to save you in favor of doing it yourself. Secondly, those who teach counterfeit gospel also lose big time. Those who teach it. Do you know why, as youth teachers here, we meet every single Saturday morning? And why we teach you? It's because if we just give you a book and we say, here, teach this, there's a lot of room for error. And where you would just go to your class and be like, hey guys, and say something completely opposite. Which is why it's so important that the pastor leads you all during that time. And it's, that's why it's equally important for you guys to make sure you're there for it. Now here's the thing. Apostle Paul, he loved everyone, but man, he had no love for false teachers. Because they're the ones responsible for throwing the church into such chaos and confusion. When early on, when Paul came to those churches in Galatia and he presented the true gospel, you know what, that, you know what the true gospel brought to those churches that were once so broken and in shambles? It brought peace and it brought reconciliation. But the moment false gospel came and guess what happened? Everything became divided. We must not distort the gospel to others and to ourselves. If God the Father loved the world enough to send his Son to save us, and if Jesus loves sinners enough to give his life for us, then neither the Father nor the Son will stand idly by and allow the good news of this gospel to be twisted and distorted and reinvented and changed until it completely cancels itself out. In this day and age, it seems like you'll get attacked if you say something that the majority of people disagree with. But that's why Apostle Paul said here in verse 10, and I want to encourage you with this. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? In other words, he's saying, so do you still think I'm trying to be a crowd pleaser? Think, and think about that yourself right now. In your workplaces, in your school places, in your family, wherever it is, are you still being a crowd pleaser? Do you still possess the fear of man over the fear of God? But people, we know what crowd pleasers sound like. They say things that will make you laugh and feel good about yourself, but their message is hopeless because it may cause you to change certain habits, but won't cause you to repent and seek the only one who can inwardly change you. These false gospel messages are hopeless because it still centers around you and what you want from God rather than what God wants from us and how he desires for us to live every single day. That's the difference between a fake gospel and true gospel. Because true gospel forces you on your knees and says, God, what do you want from me? False gospel says, God, I'm forcing you on your knees and I'll tell you what I want from you. Change my marriage, change my life, change my career, change my finances, change my, my economic situation, change my housing situation, change my academics, change my depression, change my situation, change my this. God, I order you, get on your knees and do what I say. Because apparently if I believe in you, then you ought to be doing that for me.
That is so not it. You see, to please God, you can't please man, you can't please yourself. Have you noticed that when you want to obey God, it's actually going opposite spirit from you? I mean, think about Think about something as simple and practical as doing QT, reading the Bible in the morning. How hard is it for you in the first few days of doing it to wake up joyfully? I bet some of you guys have cursed waking up, saying, I don't want to do this. Why? Because obeying God, following the word of God, is always, will always go opposite from your natural desire. But here's, that's the radical nature of the gospel message. And that's why perhaps some of you still have a hard time grasping this concept because it goes against your pride and ego, self-sufficiency, and self-reliance. When we study and hear sermons on the gospel, God promises us that it does more for you than me just simply listing off ten things for you guys to do to become a better Christian. Maybe right now you're thinking, well, Pastor David, you've, you've, been speak, you've been preaching the gospel message every single Sunday, and I still feel like it's just off. I don't get it. There's nothing clicking here. There's not, nothing that matches up to my thought, <coughs> to my heart, to my spirit. I don't get it. But let me say this. There will come a day, maybe it will be my 100th sermon, maybe it will be my 10,000th sermon, but there will come a day when something will click all of a sudden where you look before God and see his holiness and see your unholiness, and you'll fall before the mercy seat of God and you'll repent, and you'll worship in the sweet embrace of God's grace. You will see him. Not as a genie, not as someone who will do your bidding, but you will mercifully stand before him, kneel before him, lay before him, and say, God, you're God. You're creator. You're king. And you will have the most real and authentic and genuine encounter with him. It will be life-changing. And it will, not be, it will not be because I said, hey, here are the three steps to change your life. Or here are the ten things to become a better you. Do you know what helps in a mediation between two people, let's say a couple, who's been kind of going at it, fighting, arguing? It's not, it's not telling them to do this or to do that, but to actually awaken them to the reality of who they are to one another. This realization that the other person who's been there for them, who supported them, who's loved them, who's sacrificed for them will actually, actually help the two reconcile and will encourage a change in attitude and behavior. Which is why I can tell you all, I can, I can say, hey, start doing this for Jesus. Start doing that for Jesus. Start changing this about yourself for Jesus. Quit that habit for Jesus. Do all that. But here's the thing. That's not going to do anything for you. Because my supreme goal for you every single Sunday is to elevate Christ and make you remember how amazing he is. That he is so good. That he is so wonderful. That when you leave here, you're not thinking, what do I have to do? But you're thinking, Jesus, I love you. Because once you're reminded of the greatness and the majesty of Christ, man, all that attitude, all that behavior issues, all those bad habits, all that kind of external, whatever you want to call that you are dealing with, all that stuff will automatically change. And your kind of self 
and, and your arrogance and all that will begin to change into a desire for reverence and holiness and a desire to please God. So I don't have to tell you to quit this or to quit that because the Spirit of Christ in you will automatically do that for you. Like, I want each and every one of you to lead this chapel, this EM service, more in love with Jesus. Is that your desire? You know why? I'll, I'll give you an example. When the everyday routine of life hits your marriage, and by the way, I use marriage a lot in my illustrations, and for those of you single, I don't want you to get upset, really. I'm not saying this sarcastically, but I'm saying this because it reflects our union with Christ, okay? But when the everyday routine of life hits your marriage, sometimes it's hard to see your spouse in those rose-tinted glasses. I remember whenever I'm with Grace, and sometimes I'll just look at her and i say, I love you, or you're beautiful and everything. She'll, she'll look at me because, you know, listen, she just came up from a 30-hour shift. Her hair was like this. And she's like, are you mad? <clears throat> and I said, I do. And she goes, and she'll come to me and put her hands on my cheek and say, may you never take those rose-tinted glasses off. But the reality is this. In marriage, in any type of intimate relationship like that, there will be arguments, tempers will flare, there will be moments of loneliness and miscommunication and so forth, and your rose-tinted glasses will certainly be off. In fact, they'll be thrown off. But it's at those moments when you realize that you need to do something different in that, in your relationship. You need to get away from life. You need to just be with that person. That's what date nights are for. During those rare date nights, it's just you and them. It's not about talking about work or even about kids. It's not talking about anything else, but you're just reflecting upon who they are. It's about thinking and remembering about the days of your first dates when you were so loved, in love and happy for each other and to see each other. It's about remembering them. That will rekindle your passion for one another. It's not about, I love you because you wash the dishes every day. Or I am so amazed by your generosity to always rub my feet at the end of my work day. It has nothing to do with household duties or what they've done for you or for one another. It's simply embracing the person that you said many years ago, I do. And so whatever issue you might have faced earlier immediately becomes a non-issue or at least an issue that both of you now will face together rather than separately. So much in the same way, most of the time, my sermon application may seem too general or too vague. Perhaps right now you're thinking, Pastor David, can you give me some steps? Pastor, right now some of you guys are thinking, Pastor David, I know exactly what the application here is from what you said. Don't be a heretic and love the true gospel. The reality, and this is my prayer and hope for you all, is after this service to realize just how much God loves you. And how much he's calling you, every single one of you, back to him to remember your first love. Sometimes the only application we need right now aren't practical steps in what we need to do for him, but to simply reflect and worship Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's take this moment now, let's bow our heads, and let's pray. <clears throat> let us seek the face of God by his grace and his mercy. And perhaps it's been a while for you. 
But here you are this Sunday afternoon on a cold day. And I hope and pray that you have, your heart is stirring right now. I hope that you're feeling uncomfortable right now. I hope you realize the presence of God is here. And the Holy Spirit has a word for you. And he's calling you back right now. It doesn't matter how good your quiet time was yesterday. You see, when it comes to the grace of God and when it comes to the gospel message, it's about receiving new mercies every day. It's not about relying on old manna from yesterday. But it's about looking forward to the new riches and the new embrace that God has for you today. Without saying anything else, I want to give you guys just a moment here and pray. And seek the Lord. Do you want Jesus? And only Jesus. Is he enough for you? Or are you expecting something else to satisfy you? Let's pray.